may be seated. We're coming near to the end of our sermon series on the dynamics of the Christian life. We've been looking at the Christian life through the perspective of Scripture and also following the storyline of John Bunyan's Christian classic, The Pilgrim's Progress. And so last week, we experienced the crossing of the deep river that is the death experience of Christian and hopeful. So we talked about death not being an end, but a crossing where we continue uh, to live, but we live in an eternal life uh, with our Lord. And so today we come uh, to the part of Pilgrim's Progress that is not really the end. Next week we'll, we'll look at the end of the story, and I think the last of the dynamics of the Christian life that we'll be focused on, but today we want to look at heaven, and we want to seek to understand what the Bible has to say about uh, heaven. So that is our, our goal today. And then next week, we'll look at what you would think would come before we talked about what heaven is, gaining heaven. But I'm going to save that till next week because we see an interesting thing that Bunyan does to end his story. And so next week, we'll look at what does it take to get into heaven? And that will conclude our sermon series on the Christian life. But today, it's heaven. You'll see an outline on page 6. I'm only going to deal with the first point, understanding heaven. So most of us have long-term and short-term goals, don't we? Well, recently I had a short-term goal, and it was to complete a little hike to the top of a mountain. Recently, Renee and I were in Colorado Springs visiting our daughter Megan and our son-in-law Charlie, and they encouraged me to join them on a little one-mile hike. And so I said, one-mile hike, no problem. Uh, The catch is that it's a one-mile hike straight up the side of a mountain. And I thought, okay, Uh, This little hike Charlie and Megan had done several times before, so they knew it very well. They also knew the excitement of getting to the top of this particular hike. But I was pretty much clueless. All I knew it was one mile straight up. It's a trail that basically looks like a staircase. There are steps uh, made out of uh, railroad ties that literally go straight up the side of the mountain. There used to be an old railroad car uh, track. And so Megan and Charlie said, hey, you can do it, Dad. Uh, It's challenging. You do whatever it takes to get to the top. I found out what that meant. And when you get there, you'll look back and say it was all worth it because of the satisfaction of doing it and completing it, but also the spectacular, glorious view that you will see at the top. So we went to the bottom of the Manitou Incline, and I stood there, and I looked up, and I went, well, maybe there is a staircase to heaven, because that thing went straight up, and we started out. And I will tell you that it's the most difficult little hike I have ever done in my life. My goal was to make it to the top. My second goal was to try and keep my heart rate under 180, And at points, I was taking half steps up the railroad railroad ties. And Megan and Charlie 
were there, never left my side, and they encouraged me, Dad, keep going. You'll not regret it when you get to the top. The view is spectacular. And they kept, they, they kept encouraging me. Listen to this. They kept encouraging me with a vision of what I will experience at the end of the trail. And that kept me going. And so after one hour and 30 minutes to hike one mile and 2,768 steps exactly, I summited and I was not disappointed. Renee said, Tim, did you enjoy the hike? I said, no. But I was so gratified and satisfied that I did it and lived to tell about it. And the view was nothing short of spectacular. Now, that little one-mile hike really, to me, represents the journey of the Christian life. That we have a goal. And that goal is heaven. And the journey has a lot of joys and a lot of satisfaction, but a lot of challenges, doesn't it? We've been reading through the scriptures and considering Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, and there have been ups and downs and challenges the whole way through, right up until crossing the deep river there was a challenge for Christian. And we experience, and we need somebody to come alongside of us and say, hey, keep pressing on. You're almost there. And by the way, when you get to the top, it'll be so glorious. We need someone to come along and give us a vision of what the top is like and what we will experience when we get there. And what comes alongside of us in the Christian life is the Word of God that doesn't tell us everything about heaven. In fact, tells us, as J.I. Packer said, we know very little about heaven. But the Word of God gives us exactly what God intends for us to know about heaven to encourage us to keep pressing forward toward that goal and to trust him that when we get there it is going to be glorious so that's what we want to talk about today what keeps us getting up in the morning it really is and should be that vision of heaven that we that that experience that we are shown in the scriptures in part that is ours in heaven. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we turn to a couple of passages that, that give us a vision of heaven. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true and that your word does work to bring about your intended purposes, that you you guide us, you direct us, you bless us with it. And Father, as we think about your word today, it so encourages us as we live the Christian life. So Father, bless us 
as we seek to understand in part heaven, that we might be encouraged to keep pressing on today. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. We'll read the first four verses and then Revelation chapter 22 and we'll read the first five verses there. There are other passages that speak to the topic of heaven. We can't cover everything, but here are a few things that I wish for us to talk about today. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, now God's word for God's people. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down, Out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away." There's much more to learn about heaven in the remainder of chapter 21, but now let's go to chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were a were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever." The word of the Lord is eternal, it stands firm in the heavens, it is perfect, reviving the soul, and may God's word revive our souls even today. Understanding heaven. Heaven is the place with a temple, but not an earthly one. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty, and the Lamb. Maybe you remember Moses back in the book of Exodus was instructed to build a tabernacle. We see this in chapter 40 of the book of Exodus. And so Moses built this tabernacle, and that represented God dwelling in the midst of his people. And then in chapter 40, verse 34, the glory of the Lord filled their temple. The Shekinah glory came down and showed Moses and the people that God was now sitting on his throne there in their midst through that tabernacle. You may remember later that King Solomon was given the blessing to build the temple in Jerusalem. We read about this in 1 Kings 7 and 8 in the tabernacle and later the temple, however, pointed to something greater, a greater temple. And so we read in John's gospel, the first chapter, that Jesus fulfills all that the tabernacle and the temple meant. John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word, of, and the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled 
among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You may remember Jesus' words in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, when he said, destroy this temple, that is the temple in Jerusalem, the physical temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And there Jesus is identifying himself, his body, as the true temple. And so heaven is the place where we will behold the glory of the true temple of God, the Lamb upon the throne, the King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, the temple of God, where God's people dwell. Secondly, heaven is a place of complete security. So some of you are old enough to remember a time when you really did not have to lock your doors. You really didn't have to secure your belongings. Well, that day has long since passed. The gates in ancient cities were often shut at night. And for the most part, they were kept open during the day, except when there was a threat and those gates would be shut. In Revelation 21, verse 12, we're told that, that the New Jerusalem, that, that heaven really is described as having 12 gates representing the 12 tribes of Israel, that is representing the full community of the people of God. And Revelation 21, verse 25 tells us, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And that's a, really a beautiful description of the fact that God will destroy all his and our enemies. And there will be no reason to have security, to lock up anything, because we'll be perfectly safe in heaven. Every foe that might come against God's people will be vanquished. There will be no need for security systems in heaven. And something else we're told about heaven is that heaven is a bright place, a place of light. And the source of that light is the Lord himself. Two passages, Revelation 21, 23, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. And then in chapter 22 and verse 5, and the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Remember Moses who was up on Mount Sinai and could not look directly at God because of, of God's glory and brightness? He had to veil himself well, the day is coming, brothers and sisters, where we will be able to look, get this, with unveiled faces at the full glory of the Lord. Wow. Think about that. Heaven is a place free from tears, sorrows, and death. In case 
you're wondering about do Christians suffer and are there reasons for tears and is there sorrow amongst the believing community, just turn in your bulletin and look at the prayer request. Revelation 21 and verse 4, he, the Lord, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, we do shed tears of joy, don't we? But how much more do we shed tears of sorrow, of pain, and tears in reference to death? But like a mother with that child sitting on her lap with those big, I really don't know what crocodile tears are, but I've heard that saying. Those big crocodile tears coming down from the child's eyes. And what does she do? She wipes away those tears. A mother wiping away the tears of her child means that she'll do that over and over again. But we're told here in Scripture that like a mother, God... The Lord wipes away every tear, but unlike the realities here on this earth, He will wipe away every tear forevermore. Our tear ducts, the only, if, if, I don't know if our tear ducts will dry up in heaven. I just don't know. Uh, I suppose they won't because we'll have tears of joy, right? But there will be no tears of sorrow. There will be no tears over someone dying that we love. There will be no more tears over our bodies failing and pain and disappointments and broken relationships. No more tears. And why? Because in in Revelation 21 and verse 21 and also the passage that Bill read in Isaiah 55, which is the passage of judgment, but there's a reference there to the new heavens and the new earth. That heaven is a place where even this this world will be transformed and restored. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. There will be a physical place where God's people will dwell with him eternally. That the effects of the fall will be totally reversed. Nothing anymore, get this, nothing anymore will be accursed. That's why there will be no more tears. And no more death. And no more sorrow. And Jesus said this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, that is physically die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall die no more. Do you believe this? Death itself will be vanquished in heaven. Heaven is a place where there'll be no more tears. And heaven is a place where Jesus has already gone in his ascension to prepare a place for us. John 14, verses 2 through 4, My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... What I have told you, that I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. So we really can say, for those who are united to Christ in saving faith, my home is in heaven. That's my address. And heaven is a place where all who are united in Christ and saving faith will be gathered to spend eternity with him. Mark 13, verse 27. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is a reference to Jesus' second coming. And so we will always be with the Lord. Our union with Christ today continues in heaven on steroids. Heaven is a place where we shall see God and have new resurrection bodies. First John 3, 2, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Today we look through a veil, but then the veil will be taken away. First Corinthians 15, 52 through 53, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And heaven is a place where worship takes place and where God's people reign with him forever. In chapter 22 verses 3 through 5. We read that his servants will worship him there in heaven and they will reign forever and ever. Those are just a few things that, that provide a, a, a vision for us that encourages us today to press on to that goal of heaven and this vision of heaven and the experience we will have from Scripture is beautifully expressed by John Bunyan as he brings this second to the last chapter of his allegory to a close. As Christian and hopeful enter the gate, enter through the gate, and experience heaven, finally, we read this. Now I saw in my dream that these two men went in at the gate, as they entered, they were transfigured. They had garments put on them that, that shone like gold. Those who met them also gave them harps and crowns, the harps with which to praise and the crowns as a token of honor. Then I heard in my dream that all the bells in the city rang again with joy. And it was said to them, enter into the joy of your Lord. I also 
heard the men singing with loud voices, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever more. Now, just as the gates were opened to let in the men, I looked in after them. And behold, the city shone like the sun. The streets were paved with gold, and many people walked on them with crowns on their heads, palms in their hands, and golden harps with which they sang. I wish, writes Bunyan, that I myself was among them. We may know very little about heaven, but the vision scriptures give is sufficient to encourage us to keep pressing on to this goal. It sets before us a vision of heaven and what we will experience there. But maybe all we really need to know about heaven is one thing. J.I. Packer heard another theologian, an unnamed theologian, describe heaven in this way. Heaven is an unknown region with a well-known inhabitant. The Puritan pastor Richard Baxter expressed the same thoughts of this very simple statement in these words. My knowledge of that life, that is, life in heaven, is small. The eye of faith is dim, but it's enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with him. And maybe all we need to know about heaven is that Jesus will be there, and we will be there with him. To me, that's the main part of the vision of heaven that Scripture set before us. That God's people will be with their Lord forever. Not that I have already obtained this, says Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And may we daily seek to have this vision of heaven where we will be with our Lord and Savior forever. That is a vision and a reality that encourages us to press on one step at a time up the mountain to glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, for its sufficiency. Though you have not told us everything that you know, you've told us what you have ordained for us to know. You've not told us everything about heaven. You've told us what you want us to know about heaven that we might be encouraged. And I pray, O oh Father, that the fact that heaven, when it just comes down to the very basic thing, 
Heaven is glorious because our glorious Lord will be there and we will be with Him. May that be very much a part of our daily lives as we seek to journey faithfully to heaven in the Christian life. We ask and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.